You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. Today, we're going to be continuing in our theme of breeding habitat updates from up in the, the prairies. And uh, we're recording this here on June 11th. And uh, people that are that are connected to what's happening in the waterfowl world will know that earlier this week, the North, du- North Dakota Game and Fish um, Department released the results of their 2021 North Dakota Breeding Duck Survey. And we have the pleasure of speaking with Mike Zemanski, the supervisor of North Dakota's Migratory Game Bird Management. So, Mike, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. You know, this is the second year that that you and I have had this conversation. And while we within Ducks Unlimited and really everyone that cares about waterfowl are always interested in duck production, habitat conditions in North Dakota, it's been especially important here the last couple of years because it's been the only data-based barometer of what's happening pretty much anywhere in the prairies uh, because of, or pretty much anywhere in, in North America last year. I think there are a few exceptions to that this year, but we've had two consecutive years here of the cancellation of the larger U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service Collaborative uh, Waterfowl Breeding Population and Habitat Survey. So North Dakota is again in the spotlight as actually having some data. And it's a pretty different picture from what we saw uh, last year. So results were released here this earlier this week. And, you know, we're going to jump right into this. Last year, we talked a little bit of, a little bit more about the survey design and things of that nature. And people can go back and find that episode if they, if they want to. But I guess just for the basics, Mike, I'm going to turn this over to you right now and just uh, have you describe to us a bit about the survey and, and then some key takeaways from it. Oh my, what a, what a year will do, right? Um, last year we were, we were scrambling to, you know, figure out if we could even pull it off um, with COVID restrictions and everything that was going on. And we, we figured out a way to, to get it done last year in a, in a slightly modified manner. And uh, thankfully this year we were able to get back to our, our normal survey protocols. Yeah, it's our 74th uh, annual survey. We started doing our, our North Dakota game fish uh, statewide uh, breeding waterfowl survey in 1948. We run uh, a little over 1,800 miles, 1,816 miles of transect uh, that run north and south uh, all across the state from South Dakota to Canada. And we run a two-person crew doing roadside observations, 220 yards each side of the transect, counting every wetland basin that has water in it, all the duck species, and then breaking them down into social indices that of course go into, you know, indicating uh, whether or not you have a breeding pair there or an observed breeding pair, uh, those types of things. And we did the survey basically uh, a month ago. Now, of course it was very dry and we had a very fast survey. So um, it only took uh, about three days to complete across the state. 
Um, but yeah, it was exactly a month ago we were running that and, and getting that data compiled. Feel free to to tell our listeners where they can get the actual report. But for this discussion, just give us some of the some of the big highlights or lowlights, we might say. <laughs> sure. Yeah, we've got a news release on our uh, website that outlines it along with a webcast that also uh, gives the big overview. Big thing this year was the huge turnaround in wetland numbers and, and to really get a, a handle on what's going on um, in the Eastern Dakotas and especially North, North Dakota, you kind of have to step back to 2019. We had kind of a, a so-so spring for wetland conditions coming out of thaw, but then um, in late May, it just started raining and never stopped. Then we got two feet of snow in October and then it rained some more and snowed some more during winter and extraordinarily wet conditions uh, the last half of 2019. So that carried into 2020 and left us with pretty darn good wetland conditions coming out, um, coming out of thaw. It was our sixth wettest um, uh, count we had, six, six wettest wetland index on our, on our May survey. That was in 2020, of course. Yeah. So then you, you walk into this year and, and, complete opposite of last year, hundred percent, you know, stopped raining in May, didn't rain anymore, hardly. And then we had an open winter that was actually fairly warm too. So we didn't come out of winter with any runoff. And, um, I mean, last fall we were drying up wetlands because of the dry conditions. So it's very unusual to be, you know, drying up wetlands going into winter and then as you come out of winter and even March and April, still drying up wetlands. And so when we did our wetland count this year, we only had a wetland index of about 208,000. That's our fifth lowest in 74 years. So on a percentage wise uh, change, that's a, you know, 80% decrease in the wetland index and our largest percentage based change ever in the history of the 74 year survey. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the waterfowl response to those low pond numbers. What uh, just just some highlights there on on the uh, some of the more notable declines that you would have seen in terms of that that duck response, uh, and then any any sort of exceptions that surprised you when you were looking through the numbers. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. You know, these ducks. You know, we of course us that are really into ducks, we we know it and see it because there's all these different duck species, but a lot of times people just kind of think of ducks as being ducks, but they're, they're all very different. And, um, you know, they kind of run the gamut of being early breeders versus late breeders. And, um, our early breeding species were pretty, uh, pretty quick to determine that North Dakota was not the place to be, um, uh, trying to set up for setting up a pair territory and, and going through the breeding process. So, um, our mallard and pintail numbers were way down. Our pintail numbers were, um, you know, extraordinarily down. We only had 80,000 80, pintails in our index. That's uh, something like 67% or 68% below our, our long-term average. Um, and, and that's kind of what they're known for. They're, they're, they're pretty quick to determine that they're going to maybe take a year off and not breed. That's sort of why we're in the pickle we are with manage, managing them with uh, special harvest management concerns. But um, yeah, mallards were way down. We only had 448,000 on our index. Um, all of our other main species were down uh, 40 to 50%. And then there was gadwall. And gadwall have done really well the last two years, um, owing to you know late summer 
conditions that were pretty good and and they tend to use more semi-permanent basins for brood habitat uh, so they've been doing quite well but they're also a later nesting species one of our latest nesting species so as they get up here they haven't really quite sorted it out like mallards and pintails have and they were in just absolute social disarray when we were doing the survey um, i've only seen that one other time of course i've only been doing this for um, just about 20 years but the, the last time I saw it was 2008 when we were very dry in the spring, uh, kind of sandwiched in between a couple of white years. And, you know, they were all just kind of aggregated still trying to figure out if they were going to leave, if they were going to stay. Uh, didn't look like pair bonds were really holding very well. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to see that because you you see these ducks going through their mannerisms and you can kind of see what's what's going to happen and what's not. And, you know, without big time changes on the landscape for improvements in habitat conditions, most of those ducks just aren't going to breed. It's been interesting speaking with people in places north of you. I spoke with Dr. Mike Anderson and Dr. Scott Stevens about the, the, the drought, the dry conditions that they're seeing in Prairie Canada. And they've been making some op- similar observations about the numbers of birds of different species that they are seeing and uh, their social behaviors as well. And it's, it's very similar to what you're, you're talking about here. I, Mike and Scott, I both made some comments about blue-winged teal, maybe an unusual number of blue-winged teal that they were observing in, in groups of birds, which is not what you would expect or like to see from a breeding waterfowl standpoint this time of year or whenever we were speaking with them. And that, at that time, you know, like, well, that's a pretty good indication that there's not a lot of water in North Dakota. Those birds just kept on flying, uh, just trying to find water north of, uh, north of there. And uh, as we've heard from those people and, and we'll hear from others, it's, it's pretty dry north of North Dakota as well. Yeah, the blueing the blueing teal thing was very consistent in our numbers too. Uh, that was the common comment uh, amongst all of our crews of, you know, what what really stuck out in your head, and they they'd all kind of say, well, lots of lots of gadwall and lots of blueing teal, all kind of jammed up on wetlands, and uh, yeah, the blueings were sort of in the same same state of affairs, except um, I, I thought they were still holding on to pair bonds a little bit better. Um, so if you know, maybe they get a chance to spread out again. They'll have a chance. Their blue wings are pretty, pretty good at getting things cranked out when the conditions are there. And again, they're another species that have done very, very well over the last couple of years in the Dakotas. And uh, it's just an odd year to have all of your habitat go away, but still have all the ducks left over from the previous year um, or what's left of the ducks from the previous year, you know, after we go through hunting seasons and all that. But yeah, Mike, that's that's an important point that, that I think we need to remind folks is that when we see drought occur on the landscape like this, you talked about last year was was really wet in the Dakotas, and then we had, had good production out of the Dakotas last year. Now, all of a sudden, we come into a spring of drought where we have a historic decline in the number of wetlands on the landscape, and we see a pretty dramatic decline in the number of ducks there. That doesn't mean that that, that the overall continental duck population has, has fallen by that 40% number or whatever it was. What we're seeing here are the results of birds responding to drought as it's occurring on the landscape and they're moving and we're counting them in different places and it's really challenging this year because you're seeing a decline in the number of birds that are settling in North Dakota as a response to the dry wetland conditions but lacking survey data from areas north of you, importantly lacking survey data from the boreal forest it's, it's impossible 
for us to say, well, what's the overall duck population look like right now? But the important thing probably worth mentioning is that just as you did, the past couple of years coming into spring and persisting back a few years, waterfowl populations, duck populations had been in good condition. So I think that's the one thing that's important to emphasize to folks we'll try to do is that although we've although we've seen a pretty dramatic decline in wetland conditions this year, that doesn't mean that the ducks have magically disappeared along with that water, right? Yeah, that's right. We're counting on what's left over from last year's ducks and even, you know, to some extent the previous years before that ducks and duck production and production in the Dakotas is pretty good. So yeah, I mean, overall our, our duck number was 2.9 million, uh, roughly it was slightly over that, but, um, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big number of ducks and that's still slightly above our long-term average for uh, numbers of ducks in the, in, the, in our North Dakota state survey. Um, you know, I, I don't think we want to see things drop below the long-term average because we're, we've, we've been in this new paradigm of, you know, since late 1993, having a lot of water on the landscape. And then as we got through 94, 95, 96, having a lot of ducks, a lot of ducks, a lot of water, um, you know, our record number of ducks on our survey in North Dakota was about 5.4 million, uh, back in 2002. Uh, so we're a far cry from that. Um, but again, our, our 2.9 million that we had this year was a lot of blue and teal and, the way blue wings work, um, you know, that number is probably going to go down quite a bit next year. Um, so we can expect a probably a quite a bit lower duck number next year, just because of uh, lacking reproduction this year. Yeah. And so Mike, explain that a little bit. Why do we expect blue wings to perhaps have a more rapid uh, or a larger negative response to a drought like this? What's different about them? Sure. So generally speaking, blue wing teal are sort of on this you know, what we would consider to be more of an R selected spectrum uh, across our duck species versus a K selected spectrum, meaning that they've generally got lower survival rates and higher reproductive outputs. So they're, they're more reliant on their annual production um, and not annual survival uh, versus something like uh, maybe canvas backs or pintails even. So yeah, as, as we go through uh, a year or two here of maybe uh, lower than average production for blue teal. We'll see them, we'll see them go down in abundance for sure. And our, our number we had in North Dakota was still over a million blue teal. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big number. So a big number of birds, but probably not expecting much production out of them because of the dry nature of that. Well, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, like we were kind of talking about with the conditions in North Dakota, a big part of it was our our just extreme lack of ephemeral water, temporary and seasonal basins. Those are the basins that are most at risk for conversion uh, and drainage. Um, we did see a fair bit of that go on over this past winter too, unfortunately with the open winter um, following a, a, a wet year, you know, it seems like people maybe were, were after them a little bit more, but then with the dryness also setting in, there was just no, no ephemeral water out there. And uh, those those ponds are super important for setting up pair territories. And without that part of the process, breeding just doesn't happen. Like the, this is just one of those years where um, the probability of birds breeding on the front end was super low, and the propensity for their breeding is going to be super low. And that propensity is made up of uh, renesting uh, probability of renesting, and, and that's all just going to be super low without those pair ponds out there. 
Mike, it's not uncommon during any given year for us as as we're talking with one another from biologists across different parts of the country, we're asking everyone in the prairies how wetland conditions are shaping up. We do this every year, you know, kind of get these verbal reports even before we get survey data later in the year. And it's it's not uncommon at all, pretty much during every single year, with some exceptions for people to talk about how, well, conditions are really good here, but over in the western part of the province or the western part of the state, it's it's pretty dry. We have some dry pockets there. So th- this phenomenon of drought, periodic drying of wetlands, it's not uncommon at all. It occurs almost on an annual basis in some area to varying degrees of severity uh, across that prairie pothole landscape. So that's an important point that I think we're trying to communicate as we're going through this year, which is a little bit different because it's a year in which we're seeing a fairly widespread drought. That's the big difference that we're starting to see. Drought is not uncommon. It's part of a natural cycle. Typically occurs in pockets almost every year. But uh, this is different. What did y'all see with regard to the widespread nature of the low pond counts and dry wetlands in North Dakota? You know, it kind of gets back to the the writings by Johnny Lynch and an Escape from Mediocrity, where you know you, you talk about the prairie pothole region being fairly large and and quite dynamic. And of course, we can see how dynamic it is in the year to year change in wetland numbers we had in our North Dakota survey. But we're generally running. Um, seeing pockets of good habitat and bad habitat sort of regionally, even within North Dakota, like, you know, a quarter of the state will be in decent shape and a quarter of the state might be really bad. And then the other half will be kind of so-so. So, you know, generally like uh, Lynch wrote about, that would be kind of, you know, maybe a yellow light year. And, and that's kind of how it is most of the time. Like most of the time, some part of the PPR is not doing well and some parts doing really, really well. And the rest is kind of bebopping around in the middle. Um, and then occasionally you have these just blockbuster years where it's a green light year and, and the whole thing's wet top to bottom. Um, super uncommon. And then you get into years that are possibly like this year. We don't know because we don't have survey information across the entire PPR. But I can say even from a North Dakota standpoint, it's it's pretty rare for our entire state to, to be in a red light condition where everything's just very dry, very roughed up by drought. Yeah. And so we've we've seen drought before. We have a lot of experience with it, um, but it's it's been a while since we've seen one this severe, as we've kind of talked about here. And so naturally, people are going to start to wonder about uh, what what that's going to mean in terms of production and what that's going to mean in terms of what waterfowl hunters and, and, and others can experience this fall. Uh, you know, I, I will pause and say that here we, we're talking about North Dakota and the results there, and we're challenged with the lack of any other empirical data. We'll have some from the Great Lakes states, a couple of those states we'll talk with, but they're outside of this dynamic prairie landscape. So that's sort of a different, a different deal. But those states, when combined with the boreal forest north of the, well, across all of northern Canada, uh, Alaska, and a few other areas that that perennially produce ducks, uh, support ducks. Uh, knowing what we do about the high productivity of the, of the prairie region and what we are hearing with regard to how dry it is and what we know about how waterfowl respond to that, how are you gearing up, Mike, to communicate to your hunters and, and other constituents, uh, hunters throughout the flyway about 
what they could expect this year? I know that's a tough question, but it's, it's one that we're, supposed, we're, we're expected to have an answer to, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you're kind of alluding to, you know, again, s- some of the other portions of, you know, escape from mediocrity with with duck production and how important the boreal forest is and some of these other breeding areas like the Great Lakes states for kind of that backstop on production. You know, those those places, you know, if if you're talking about money, they'd be the places that keep you from going broke or losing all your money at once. There's sort of that nice hedge, um, you know you're not going to make your way into a liberal package living off of the boreal forest and the, and the great lake States, but they're going to keep you from losing all your ducks and they're going to keep some production in the system fairly consistently. Um, so it's, it's good that, you know, ducks have an option to go back and settle into and, you know, they got to go somewhere. I mean, fact is ducks need water and, and we're pretty short on the landscape of water just, just for them to even go through their annual process of, uh, molting and, um, going through a flightless period, all those things. So, you know, that said, uh, I am pretty much telling people that they shouldn't expect uh, a real great duck season in, in North Dakota or even folks that are calling from other places where we send ducks to because, you know, that gets driven by um, reproduction. If if there's not a lot of young birds in the fall flight, duck hunting's pretty tough, you know, not only from the numerical standpoint of I mean, when you have a good fall flight, you've generally, you know, doubled your your breeding population going into fall. If you're only hunting adult birds that have been hunted and sort of have, you know, seen the movie before, they're they're not going to want to go back and do some of the things that they've done in the past where they got uh, roughed up or it's a, it's a long, it's a long season. Yeah, it is. And so I, I think what's easy to underestimate is just how young some of those birds are whenever they're, like, you talk about the years in which we have good production. Those, those result in favorable hunting conditions from two perspectives. You, you noted both of them. One is the fact that you have, you simply have more birds. Uh, in a good year, you'll double the, the population coming south from what you had in the spring. But the other is that there's a large portion of that that would be young birds naive birds and by naive we're talking about birds that have been on the wing for 45 days you know probably maybe even shorter than that in some cases so these when we say naive we're really (laughs) i think people don't really understand or, or don't don't appreciate how young they are in some in some cases and so yeah that has a big effect on on their vulnerability sure and i think the other part and and we're actually some research partners and I are actually trying to get a look at this is um, trying to figure out if there's this sort of notion if it'll carry any water that when you have duck production you know those ducks don't always have other ducks to follow like they just get up and go they're generally going to some sort of natal it's not natal area because it's not where they're born but that sort of hardwired primitive based wintering area that they're just going to end up there you know and some of those places i just don't think are going to see as many ducks this year if there's not a lot of young birds that are just sort of sort of pointing it south or southeast going to where they are you and your dog are a team fuel is best in the field and in life with purina pro plan sport Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.
you know, generally expected to go. I have a couple of final questions here for you, Mike, as we begin to, to close this out. We've talked about what hunters can expect. And so let's talk about the other aspect of that in terms of harvest regulations. And this is a, a point that we will hit on repeatedly, just as a reminder for folks, because there are some changes. There have been some recent changes to the way to the timing of, of setting of harvest regulations people that have been hunting for a long, long time will remember that we would always have to wait until the breeding population and habitat survey came out in the fall. And then that would uh, dictate uh, what the regulations would be for that year. But then things changed. That that process changed a few years ago where that now hunting regulations for, uh, let's say this year, 21-22, were set based on population and habitat conditions last year. And we still need to get someone on to talk in depth about why that is and the specifics of that. But just a reminder here that the conditions that we're seeing this year are going to be most important for setting harvest regulations for the 22-23 season. And so I'll get you to add anything to that that you want to. But also just a reminder here, because I know people oftentimes ask me this, I'm sure they ask you this as well, as are the North Dakota breeding duck numbers, survey numbers factored into the annual uh, AHM harvest regulation process? No, they're not. We've uh, we've always run our survey independently. We we actually started our survey before the Fish and Wildlife Star- Service started theirs. And um, it's just been run in a different manner, uh, completely separate the whole time. You know, there's been occasions where, you know, coming in the say teal season, taking a look at what teal season is going to be. If there's a big blip in teal numbers, we might compare numbers just to kind of make sure things are okay. Or it's, it's just basically an independent data set that we use in house as a communications tool. You know, I have this data turned around generally um, and finalized within a couple of weeks. So we can start talking about our situation in the state uh, to our hunters, not only within state and out of state. And then, you know, have a have a good message for a biologist to talk about. Two more questions. One relates to some recent precipitation that I know has been falling in certain parts of North Dakota. And I also know that you've been fielding some calls from people, maybe some emails with people asking you, hey, has this changed anything? Is it is it too late? Is it going to stimulate some late nesting? So yeah, what's that? Uh, how much precipitation have you been receiving? How widespread has it been? And what is the, uh, how has it changed or has it changed anything at all about wetland conditions and likely duck response? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, kind of a hard conversation because people on on the duck side of things want to see a lot of rain show up and they want things to change but the truth is we have to go through a little bit of short-term pain for long-term gain in wetland productivity um, so it's good to have these wetlands dry up naturally on the landscape um, what i fear with all of this is that you know we've we've been going through some extremely hot temperatures we've been triple digits a couple times now already in early June, which is highly abnormal. We're going to be triple digits again here this week. And we've, we've generated some pretty big thunderstorms and, and very heavy downpours. And that's not, that's not really what you want to have hitting the landscape that's been roughed up by drought. And then, you know, we had a lot of habitats that were tilled and converted to cropland because of the dryness, you know, it's just a lot of places that people could get into that they haven't gotten into for a couple of years. So when you have a four to seven inch rain, uh, some places even got 10 plus inches, 
there's heavy, heavy soil erosion that happens. And instead of having water fill your wetland basins, you have topsoil going in. And that's highly detrimental to these ephemeral basins. We just had another blast of storms go through last night, and I haven't seen the results of of what entails for precipitation amounts. Um, But uh, it seemed like the northwest part of the state probably got a fair bit of rain. The previous rains we had over the last week have largely been in not high duck density areas, you know, generally places that maybe only have 20 or 30 duck parish per month. Per square mile, you know, that's, that's what we consider to be a low duck density. Um, you know, as, is you know, we talk about our high density areas, the Northwest part of the state, part of the Missouri Coteau having an upwards of some of the places are in upwards of 250 parish per square mile. Um, generally it's over, a, over a hundred. So, um, obviously those places getting rain will be helpful. Um, it's, it's hard to know how much it'll help some of these birds, the, the later breeding birds like gadwall will, will certainly benefit, um, the mallards that stayed here will probably, um, benefit if it's in their localized area and as they're waiting out, uh, better conditions, you know, it's, it's important to realize also that these, these rains that are happening are fairly localized. Um, what came through last night was a little more broader scale. So we'll have to see what they, that did. Um, blue and teal will probably also benefit too, because they, they seem to be always kind of ready to, to jump after it. But, um, again, we were basically completely dry and we're going to be back into the triple digits here later this week. So it could just be a blip, you know, where it comes through and, and causes a bunch of problems for people with heavy downpours and then that's it. Um, we really won't know, but, but it is honestly fairly late in the breeding season to be, you know, hoping to save production for the year. You know, I, I kind of think in North Dakota, the rain thus far has maybe moved it from being a one out of 10, uh, production wise to maybe after last night, a a two or three out of 10. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Uh, Mike Anderson rated Southwestern Manitoba as a two out of 10. Maybe, I think he said maybe a little less than two out of 10. So uh, it's interesting that you guys are kind of on the same on the same scale there. I think they've had really similar drought conditions. Our, our conditions in North Dakota, um, from what I can tell, uh, seem to be kind of floating up into that first maybe 80 miles of Manitoba and Saskatchewan. We'll talk with Pat Kehoe here, I think, next week, and he's going to give us a perspective from across some of the more western provinces uh, of, of the prairies. So we'll we'll see how. I don't think uh, it's hard to say, man. You hear all sorts of different reports, and without real data, it's it's very difficult to get uh, observations on the same kind of scale. But that's just kind of what we're having to deal with right now. It's just observations from the field and just try to piece it together. It's dry. We know it's dry. It's just varying levels of dryness. And it's, it's perspective too, right? Like I grew up in North Dakota. I, I remember very well the drought of the late, late eighties, early nineties. And, you know, even, even the last couple of years, 2019 being the exception, we'd have, you know, younger biologists in the state going, Oh my God, you know, look at how dry it is. And it's kind of like, no, that's not dry. Yeah, stick around, <laughs> stick around. Yeah. Y'all watch this. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, our, it, 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 this year is by all means very dry or was very dry during May in North Dakota. Our, our record low uh, May index was like 141,000. So we had 208 this year. I mean, it was ranked fifth, but there's not a lot of give between worst and what we had. So 
Yeah, this is one of those years, if we're making jokes about all sorts of social media memes, this is one of those where 2021 would be saying, hold my beer, talking to the 1980s or, some, or to, to some other more recent. Yeah, note, right? yeah, for sure. Um, but the, the point that you made about soil erosion during these these thunderstorms is is another thing that oftentimes slips the mind of, of folks and including myself. And it's a another reason why retaining intact grasslands is so important for for the entire integrity of that prairie pothole uh, system. Pretty neat little intersection there with what you're observing and some of the importance of our of our conservation efforts. So last question, or, or lo- looking forward here, acknowledging that we, we lacked data in 2020 from the Waterfowl Breeding Population and Habitat Survey, and now here we are in 2021, a second consecutive year without data from that survey, which covers all of, you know, covers the very important prairie pothole region of the U.S., of Canada, the boreal forest in Canada, uh, the western boreal forest, as well as the eastern boreal forest. There's no data, no data has been collected across any of that landscape for the past couple of years. Uh, How excited are you uh, and how much are you looking forward to next year assuming something else doesn't go haywire, but the prospect of getting back in the air, getting biologists back in the air uh, and on the ground to actually collect the data that is so important for the management of this resource. Yeah, I mean, I am certainly very eager as well as all of my counterparts uh, that that do this type of work to have the full full-scale survey data available. I mean, it's been great that our state agency has been able to provide some real data but yet for a smaller geographical area over the last two years. But yeah, um, you know, this whole system that we work on is based on uh, structured decision-making, informed decisions, and then having a set of objectives that we're trying to work off of to, to manage waterfowl, waterfowl harvests. And having not having that population and habitat data makes people not only very uncomfortable, but just, I would say, sick to the stomach of just, kind of going muddling through this with with the unknowns and you know the talented folks over in the fish and wildlife service have been able to make it work through some modeling procedures um you know thankfully uh when we talk about our our annual process and our monitoring programs we have three horsemen that are in that uh, monitoring process our population habitat survey our preseason duck banding and our harvest surveys and thankfully we had the preseason duck banding intact uh, for the most part and our harvest surveys. Um, Last year, we were able to reconfigure a little bit and uh, get some folks situated in the Dakotas that were displaced from Canada that would normally run crews up there. And then of course our state agencies are also running banning operations along with the central Mississippi flyways. So we had all that good data to help us work through it. Um, You know, that helps get back to modeling what that population status is that's getting used in the AHM process. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly better than nothing, but it'd be great to have the real thing. And, you know, it's, it's just a very unfortunate timing for all of this as we're, you know, not only without data, but still, still sort of new in, in prescribing duck regulations a year in advance, we started doing that with the 2016 season. It's not just dryness. I mean, North Dakota only has a little over 2.4 million acres of CRP in the state. Little little less than one and a quarter million acres in, in 2007, 2008, we were pushing 3.4 million. 
it's a pretty big difference for duck production and uh, what's going to happen, you know, for duck nest success and all those things. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just a difficult situation for folks. Um, you know, what we, what we do have to remember is that the, the SEIS process, even if we would have had that um, May survey information, I think folks are pretty much in agreement that we, we very, very likely would have had a liberal prescription for this hunting season. So now we're in the situation of, you know, we've already got this year's hunting season set as a liberal package, but we don't have data again for this year. Um, so the big question is what'll come out of AHM as we go through the process later this summer. And I got to say with conditions being what they were in the Dakotas, which are not factored in currently, but how conditions also were in Canada and kind of all that all feeds together with uh, age ratios, predicted populations, predicted pond counts. Like it's hard to know what'll, what'll come out. Um, I mean, I suspect it'll, it'll probably be a change, but who knows? It's definitely a weird time. Uh, although we feel like the global pandemic is, is ending, there are things left in its wake that we're going to have to deal with for another year or two. Uh, but folks like yourself and the partners in the Fish and Wildlife Service are, are the ones that, that are very capable of doing so. And, and I'm glad we've got you all in those positions. And, you know, the other, uh, the, the other thing is that we have to remember is that the drought that we're talking about here in the prairies is, is going to have its greatest impact on populations that feed uh, waterfowl hunters and resource users in the central and Mississippi flyways, harvest regulations there. And then we, we haven't talked very much about harvest regulations and how they're set and what habitat conditions and populations are, are, are kind of doing or likely to be doing in, in the eastern, uh, in eastern North America and western North America. Those mallard stocks are managed separately. So there's a whole other, other piece of this conversation that we're going to try to take care of. And I think the Fish and Wildlife Service was actually able to fly surveys in Alaska to help feed that western mallard AHM process, right, Mike? Yeah, that was my understanding. And that's actually a, a very interesting thing for pintails because of the overflight that happens when the, you know, when the prairies are dry, a lot of times they end up in Alaska. So it'll be interesting to see how many pintails they pick up uh, in that survey effort. Yeah, that's a good point. So the complexity here is pretty, uh, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to us. It's, uh, and we're going to try to bring some of that, bring a view of some of that complexity to you, the listeners here, as we go forward. We're going to try to connect with some folks out east and then maybe some folks out west as well to speak to some of that. And then, of course, any survey data that does result from those Alaska surveys, uh, we'll bring that to folks later in the year and continue to piece together this pretty interesting conversation that we uh, and process that we all find ourselves working through right now. But Mike, Thank you for taking the time to join us this morning. This has been a, fan, uh, a great conversation. I've, I've learned a lot more about some of the things that are occurring there. Your perspective being there on the ground is really important. So I appreciate that and I uh, hope our listeners do as well. So thank you for joining us, Mike. And thank you to your agency for continuing to, uh, to keep that data stream going. It's, it's pretty useful in, in a year like this, especially. Thank you, Mike. Absolutely glad to join you. Special thanks to our guest on today's episode, uh, Mike Zemanski, Supervisor of Migratory Game Bird Management for the North Dakota Game and Fish Department. As always, we thank our producer, Clay Baird, for the great work that he does in this podcast and getting it out to you. And then to you, the listener, we thank you for your time and we thank you for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.